Hello everybody and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 46 and as always I am your host Jeremy Bray alongside my co-host Wesley Faulkner. How's it going Wesley? It goes smooth. <laughs> oh that's good. How was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was was fun. Long time off. Um, been off since the Friday before uh, Thanksgiving, the week before. So uh, it was a good, good nine day break. Oh, lucky you. I was... I was even working Black Friday, which kind of sucked. Normally, I usually just take Black Friday off, but since this year there were no real good sales to go out shopping for, I didn't even bother taking the day off. And what shopping I did, I just did online. Yeah, for me, every Friday is a Black Friday. Yeah, I I do way too much shopping as it is, but when you throw a bunch of good bargains at me, I tend to buy a whole lot more than I need to. I was making a racial joke, but... <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a little late. I can't, That one kind of went right by me there. <laughs> but Yeah, I have a tendency of buying crap that I'll never use. I mean, I've got paper shredders around here that I got free after rebate that I'll never use. I mean, I've got more surge protectors than I can count, although I tend to actually use all of those because I end up I've got so few, i basically got one full outlet in my bedroom, and then there's one little socket up with a light switch, and that's all I have in my bedroom, so I tend to have to daisy chain three or four um, power strips together just so I have enough power to power my TV, my computers, my home server, my 360. You know that's a fire hazard, right? <laughs> yeah, I know that, but um, it hasn't created a problem yet knock on wood <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm ready for my fourth power strip on here i just haven't gotten around to doing it yet but i've got three full ones all going right now and i've been meaning to throw on a fourth one for a while because now i'm pretty much to the point where i'm having to unplug things to plug everything else back in it's are getting to be a real pain but yeah I, I wish we had better wiring in this house, and there's two problems with our house. One, there's not enough outlets, and two, the outlets that we have, like, I'd say probably 80% of them are all two-prong, and to find anything mm. this day yeah. and age that's two-prong is almost impossible. How old's the house? Oh, uh, I think it was probably built in the 50s, maybe. Okay, that makes sense. Something like that, but... Yeah, pretty much everything in this house is two-prong, so we have to have all these two- to three-prong adapters going everywhere, and it's just a real pain. That, that's probably the only thing I actually really hate about this house is the whole electrical wiring thing. But That means you can't have a, a decent UPS because all those rely on a, uh, a tight-end ground. If you don't have that, then those don't work properly. We have uh, UPSs on all our major computer equipment and uh, large televisions here in this house, just in case. I've always wanted a UPS just because we tend to get a lot of power surges around here, and it gets to be a real pain when it takes down all the computers and the router and the modem and everything, and it's not so much a problem now that I have a new modem and I've changed router firmware but it used to be every time we'd get a power surge, it would totally screw over the modem and the 
routers to where I'd have to go through a special boot sequence as far as power cycling and plugging things mm-hmm. in and doing all kinds of stuff just to get the internet back working again. Yeah, I have a 750 VA in, uh, hooked up to our television and our media center. And I have a 1500 VA here in the office that covers the server, computer, um, the router, um, the uh, like wireless USB hub I have in here. And so the good thing is when we do lose power, we can still get on the internet with our laptops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's something I need, but I kind of have no room. The only place I really have room is underneath my desk, and you've never seen a bigger cable mess, because that's <laughs> where all my surge or all my power strips are, and all the cables. And when you got three computers down there, plus that's where all the cables for the TV, the game consoles, the servers, and everything go to. It it's kind of a jungle down there. Even I'm afraid to go down there. Mm. But well, uh, let's <laughs> yeah, yeah enough of that. <laughs> let's move on. I, I I hear you hinting to go move on. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, just a quick little thing. Uh, everybody should definitely make sure to follow along on the show notes at globalgeeknews.com, and don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com/blog. I've kind of been working on finishing putting up all my stuff as far as PDC goes. I still have the videos to get up, so uh, otherwise everything else that I'm going to write about is pretty much up there, and I do have an interview this week. I meant to... I'll probably have it up probably tomorrow, an interview that I did this morning with a uh, senior software developer at Iconics that I was supposed to do at PDC, but things kind of fell through, so we ended up doing the interview this morning, so hopefully I'll get a chance to get that put up tomorrow. And my stuff from Go Gamer just shipped. Awesome. Anyway, um, that's pretty much it in terms of updates and stuff for the blog. I've got a couple other ideas that I'm working on for that, especially now that I have a camera to do some video stuff, so keep an eye on there. But anyway, go ahead and jump right into our story. Or, or stories, I should say. There's actually even one more than usual. So, anyway, apparently this for this holiday season, the Kindle is outselling every other product on Amazon. Yeah, I read the story, and it says the number one best-selling, number one wished for, and the number one most gifted product on Amazon. Um, but I think that's probably of Amazon products, meaning things they actually manufacture. Um, like, didn't we have a story about a few months ago how they started selling... HDMI cables and CD-ROMs and DVDs. Um, I'm not sure if they've started selling that stuff or not, but from what I've heard, I haven't checked the actual uh, lists myself, but from what I've been told on the actual list of like best-selling items, the Kindles up and above like the Nintendo Wii or the iPods or whatever as far as sales on Amazon. So it's not just Amazon made products. It's am anything sold on Amazon. Yeah, I know that's what they're implying, but that doesn't sound right to me. Mm-hmm. I it it kind of surprises me, but at the same time, with his the fact that the Nook got pushed back again today, I believe to like January fourteenth or something like that. Um, clearly, somebody's 
wants their uh, ebook reader in time for Christmas, so that's it's pretty much the only option you have right now, unless you want to get the Sony reader, and that's from what I've seen and played with of those, they're not all that wonderful, I don't think, at least not compared to the Kindle. Yeah, they must mean that price bracket or something like that, because yeah, it's kind of hard to believe it's the number one selling item. Well, the thing is, Amazon's never released any sales figures on the Kindle, so everyone just kind of assumes they're low. I've heard some analysts say that give some really high numbers. Some expect it to be really low. No, no one really knows because Amazon has never been willing to say what their sales figures are. They've just said that they're extremely good or above expectations or whatever. So. This doesn't surprise me too much, but I was. It came as kind of a pleasant surprise when I saw it come across my RSS feed this morning. Yeah, I don't believe it. I want to see numbers. Until they show numbers, I don't believe it. Yeah, I, I would love to see some numbers, but as a happy Kindle owner, I could certainly see why it would be the best selling thing on Amazon. Ooh. <laughs> so you, so more than MP3s? Yeah. Really? Well, the MP3 market, the MP3 player market is so saturated as it is. No, 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 not MP3 player. MP3s. Well, yeah, but the MP3 market itself is down anyway. So really? So you think that they're, like, um, Miley Cyrus's Party in the USA single... They sold more king, uh, Kindles than that. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, all right. <laughs> if you're taking that stance, then I can't fight you on that one. Well, Amazon isn't that... I mean, the MP3 store at Amazon is a decent chunk of sales, but it's not a real big chunk of sales compared to something like an iTunes anyway, so I don't think all that many people... Well, I'm not do. comparing it to iTunes, I'm just comparing it to the Kindle. Well, yeah, but considering the um, market for purchasing uh, MP3s is larger with other stores like iTunes or Walmart.com or whatever, I don't think that sales for MP3s are large enough at Amazon to be able to compete with something like the Kindle. Okay. But All right, I digress. Anyway, um, well, while the Kindle seems to be doing really well... The crunch pad seems to be disappearing before anybody ever really gets a chance to even see one. Yeah, Michael Ayrton wrote a post today about the disagreements between their supplier and their co-designer and uh, some stock um, holders' interests in that third-party company that caused the collapse of the basically the IP and the... Um, the deployment of this device, which is really, really sad. I I was really sad to hear this because I I've been looking forward to the Crunchpad for a long time. I was gonna buy, I was gonna order one the second they were gonna go on sale. But for those that don't know, the Crunchpad was basically Michael Arrington's idea for uh, like a cheap three hundred dollar white internet tablet for just something to use like when you're sitting on the couch or something like that and from the mock-ups and stuff that they've shown it's actually a nice little impressive thing but apparently something happened over the last 
week or so where they were working on trying to get it ready to be announced officially as far as like I guess opening up pre-orders and stuff like that and something happened with the manufacturer that they're working with or helping design it with as to where the shareholders that the of this manufacturing company wanted to say pretty much forget Arrington and TechCrunch and everything and just kind of move up on their own and whether or not they got to use the Crunchpad name they really didn't seem to care despite the fact that a lot of people were familiar with the Crunchpad name already Mm. but since they kind of developed it together they kind of own the IP the intellectual property together so now Michael Arrington's getting ready to file a whole bunch of lawsuits to make sure that they don't take this to market on their own. Well, I don't think he said that. I just, I, but I think it's definitely implied. Um, if they did decide to steal their IP, that they would prosecute vigorously. Because the thing about Michael Arrington from reading his posts, what I do know of him is that uh, he is a man of principle. Um, regardless of there might be money involved, uh, that he feels that doing the right thing by his standards is what's more important. So that's why they rather kill the project and still, instead of letting someone else take it from them. Uh, what really amazed me is just how many multi-billion dollar retail partners that they had working on this or wanting to help out. Like Intel is going to be supplying Atom CPUs and they were doing everything they could to help out and giving ridiculously generous prices given their projected first year sales volumes according to Arrington and several others that were willing to sell it at basically at cost just where they weren't making any profit off it just to help get it going and stuff so it was I was kind of surprised to know just how much how big of an effort there was behind this I figured this was just kind of a small time thing yeah, it seems like a pretty sweet device, too. Is it a 12-inch ca- uh, capacitive display, so you can do multi-finger uh, pinch and zoom. Um, and the sad thing is, is what, three days from when they were going to launch it that this happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mike seems to have lost what he thought was going to be a friend for life from it, and it, it just seems to be one huge bad deal. Yeah. Unfortunately, sad. Well, it's it's sad. Um, maybe someone. Uh, nah, this is dead. It, maybe another person will pick up this torch, uh, and and if they really do believe in this, um, but there's a possibility that torch um, picker upper could be Apple. Well, I, I know there were. Um, I believe they were using a lot of like as much open source stuff that they could for stuff like this. So I would assume that there's a possibility of people kind of of somebody coming along and kind of picking up where they left off. I mean, they can't do necessarily everything just because of intellectual property reasons and stuff like that, but I think that they could certainly have a leg up on getting something out a little bit quicker because part of the work's been done for them already. Well, a lot of the IP is still with with TechCrunch, so I know some of it's yeah. open source, but you can't put all the pieces together. And some of the IP is this third-party company, which shall remain nameless. And um, th- and 
one thing it had Mike Aronson's name on it, and you can't put a price on that. He, hmm. There's a lot of visibility and a lot of a lot of attention around him and this product that I don't know if anyone else has that kind of clout to get this done like that. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when he actually kind of got the ball rolling on this. Um, I mean, just for a person to come up with an idea like this, a $300 internet tablet, that's and actually get it to where it comes to market, that's basically unheard of. Mm-hmm. And I think there's very few people that have the clout to do it, and he's one of those people. Yeah, that's the really sad part of this, is that it was going to be an extremely awesome success story if it came through, but now, unfortunately, um, it's dead. Yeah. I wonder how much um, like the prototypes would go for on eBay if they ever found their way onto eBay. A lot. (laughs) If I was Arrington, I would buy them all up. I would not let this go into the wild. I'll keep them all. Yeah, I, I would assume he's probably got all of the... him and the Fusion Garage, the company that's causing all the issues, probably have all of the prototypes, so I'm sure nobody will ever get their hands on it, probably. Yeah. But... Speaking of a little bit brighter issues, apparently the European Parliament has officially approved some file-sharing rights. Yeah, and they're saying that basically you can't just cut off someone's internet. Um, There has to be some sort of due process of some sort. And they actually use the term appropriate, proportionate, and necessary within within a democratic society, which sounds like awesome wording for this law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, considering all of the various three-strikes laws and stuff... And I just happened to see a headline a little while ago. I haven't had a chance to read the story yet. But apparently there's been part of the EU version of ACTA been released and how horrible it is. So I'm kind of curious to know how something like this is going to... would affect a treaty like ACTA, which basically they're trying to get a global three-strike system. And this basically says, okay, the three-strike system is okay, but you can't do anything too unreasonable, and people have to be able to defend themselves and stuff like that. Yeah, this apparently it wouldn't work um, because they said that this is an EU law, which I guess supersedes a lot of the um, member countries of the EU, and it even states in this story that all EU member states have to enshrine the new rules in their own laws by May 24th, uh, 2011. So everyone, so this should overwrite all the laws against and even eliminate the three strike law in France. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see just kind of how this plays out. I, I've gotten to the point where I'm getting really interested in how the whole EU thing works as far as um how they can come up with rules and how they have an effect on all of the countries and stuff like that. And it, I, I just gotten to the point where I just find the whole thing fascinating. Yeah. Well, it, it, the good thing is the prevailing law of the land, basically mm-hmm. uh, the equivalent of a U.S. federal court against a state, uh, is the one that is the right law. 
and the correct one and the one that we hope to propagate. Um, and um, let's just hope this same thinking uh, spreads over to Canada. Yeah, well, apparently in Canada, ISO Hunt, which I don't know if we ever men- happened to have mentioned this particular lawsuit on the show or not, but a while back, or earlier, th- earlier this year, uh, the CRIA, which is basically the Canadian version of the RIAA, was basically giving ISOHUN a hard time, saying, well, we're going to sue you, we're going to sue you, and put you out of business and whatever. Well, ISOHUN decided to say, they decided, okay, well, we're just going to sue you first, since you you're just seem to be all talk and never have done anything about it. So now they've sued them, and they're asking the court to legalize their operations and basically declare them legal so that there's nothing the CRIA can do about it, and the judge basically wants to have a full-on trial because this is such a um, huge thing and can have such a huge impact that it something like this deserves a full trial rather than just a small hearing. Mm-hmm. Which is definitely going to strain their resources, as in financial and time, away from uh, running day-to-day operations. But um, I guess it's kind of expected when you go and say, hey, we want you to have a decision judgment on something of this magnitude, that the judge might say, you know what, I'm not going to go out on a limb. Because judges are afraid of making a ruling and it being overturned because it looks bad on them. So it would behoove the court to take this and move it to a formal trial which they are going to do. But um, at, least, at least Gary Fung, the ISO Hunt founder, is open to uh, side negotiations with the music industry to prevent this from going to, to court. Yeah, I'm not sure um, what his whole idea of side negotiations are. It seems like Canada has always been a little bit of a haven for pirates to an extent because I'm not sh- I don't think they're based there now, but for the longest time... Uh, Demonoid, the popular private tracker, was hosted there for a long time until finally at some point the CRIA decided to start to give them grief and then and now I think they're like in the Ukraine or something like that, I think. What? I know like a lot of Canadians, at least I've heard, have felt empowered to pirate because they have that tax on all recordable medium media there for piracy anyway so it's like well i'm paying for it so why not take it well as i recall last i knew i don't think canada had ever managed to pass any form of like the dmca i know there's there's been attempts to but last Mm -hmm. i knew that's never happened yeah but uh, they they do have that tax on like dvd cds and ipods Mm -hmm. uh for for copyright infringement so it's sounds like um, liability insurance to me. Why why not do it in case you get caught? I mean, you already pay for it. Yeah, a little bit. But, well, at least now that Isohun is trying to fight this maybe a little bit more than Mininova is, Isohun is essentially the second largest tracker there is next to the Pirate Bay since Mininova had to delete all of their infringing torrents. This is interesting. So Mininova basically changed their business model around the decision uh, that they had to remove all pirated content from their site. 
So um, this is an interesting approach. And actually, I'm rooting on Mininova. I like this approach. Not, not because it, it might be successful or I think it ultimately is going to win. Um, but if it does, it's going to be huge. Um, if this becomes the... I know there's a, a site lodge called LegalTorrents.com uh, or .org or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So this is essentially what Mininova is becoming. Uh, it's becoming like the YouTube of Legal Torrents, where you go in, you go through their uh, uploading software, and it creates a tracker for you. Um, if this, if they can do some outreach to appeal people to go to their site, I think that they have. I mean, I think this will be interesting to see how it turns out. But um, they're going to need do more than just provide a tool. They're going to have to actually do some re-education, as it were. Well, I guess they're still debating whether or not they're going to appeal the decision, which basically tells them remove all of the illegal stuff or face a 5 million euro fine. And which, if it were me, I would try and appeal it because basically you're going from I think I think they were considered the largest, they're either the largest or the most trafficked uh, BitTorrent site until this happened in the world. I think it was the largest, as I recall. And basically they're going legit, so most of the people are going to leave and go to the Pirate Bay or ISO Hunt or some of the smaller trackers, Demonoid and what have you. And I've, I've used Minidova on many occasions myself. I generally preferred it to the Pirate Bay or whatever for any not-so-legal stuff I was looking for, largely because their search was a whole lot better than the Pirate Bay. Mm-hmm. But... So that's what I'm saying. They're gonna they're gonna need to do some outreach because this, the people that were looking for that content are gone. They need to find new people who weren't looking for that content, and that's why they're gonna need to do some sort of uh, rebranding campaign, if you will, and to, to try to let people know this is what we are now, and this is the best way uh, to use us, and this is the kind of content that you want, and you can find it here. And and that is the tricky part that they're gonna need to figure out. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that's even going to be possible. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a any kind of a pirated outfit successfully rebrand themselves into a legal service. I mean, Napster's tried to do it, and they've and that's pretty much a miserable failure. I, right, they did it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just not sure if there is an easy way of going to okay, here's all this stuff, it's pirated, it's free, have fun, to here's some legal content, we would like you to pay for it, and still maintain all of those, all of your um, clients. Well, let's say um, Mininova went to, let's say, the Global Geek podcast and say, hey, we'll host your podcast for free, and did that to every single podcast and, and made a nice front end for it. And what if they went to, let's say, SourceForge.com and say, hey, we'll, we'll syndicate everything you upload, you know, partner with us. And then they go to a Download.com and did the same thing. Um, and uh, maybe went to WordPress and say, hey, here's some, a nice plug-in so that all pictures, all videos, and all kinds of contents, we'll, we can be like a pseudo-CDN for you guys. I mean, that's, that would work. I mean, it's going to be complicated, and it wouldn't be easy, and it's going to be a lot, a lot of communication to say, hey, this is what we do now, and we can help you do this better. But it would work, and it's going to be drastically different than what they're doing now. But hey, 
during Prohibition, Anheuser-Busch sold things other than beer, and they were able to get through it. Same thing with Mininova. If they can find their niche, even though it's drastically different than their previous clientele, they just need to, you know, get in a room for a couple of days and figure out what they're going to do. Yeah, I think I give them six months to a year and they'll be shut down completely. Oh, yeah. They're going to definitely run out of money before then. And I think from what I've understood, they used to be a multi-million dollar site, but when all of your users go away because you don't have the content that they want in the manner that they want, you basically, your funds drop dry out to nothing really quick. Yeah, I mean, think about it. What if they just, you know, you wanted to like do a, a, a 10 gig transfer of a home movie. Mm-hmm. They could basically have a front-end uploader to archive.org, take advantage of that free space, and then partner with a whole bunch of different nodes and be able to syndicate that content all around the internet using the infrastructure they already have, which is just BitTorrent and a good front-end and search engine. Mm-hmm. Boom, I would use that. Yeah, I might use that. I don't know, I, it seems to me like the best thing they could do is basically become like maybe a Hulu competitor or something like that, where you're still giving away the content for free, but in a lot of cases maybe you're doing it... You're going to, of course, be doing it under various licensing agreements. Maybe you can do higher quality stuff, stuff like that. Basically, come out with a Hulu competitor because most of what people download off of um, torrent sites are generally movies and TV shows and stuff anyway. So if you can do something like that, I, I think they could potentially salvage the site. Yeah, that's a lot of licensing deals. Um, the best they could do would be is like a juiced competitor, and we know where juiced is right now. Yeah, juiced kind of is dead now that they got bought out last week. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of buying things, apparently Swedes are starting to buy music. Question is, is it because of the anti-peer-to-peer laws? Yeah, I, I actually don't think that has any effect on this, to tell you the truth. I mean, that's just my opinion. I think people are coming into the market at certain technological savviness. And right now, um, with deals being made uh, internationally with popular music, I think just people are just coming in and saying, okay, how do you buy inter- uh, music over the internet? Or how do you get music over the internet? And th- the answer used to be torrents uh, or, or, or pirating. And I think just the simple answer now is just buy it legally. And I think it's just easier. Yeah, you know, I think this. I think what probably has helped this the most is probably the fact that music, whether you're getting it from Amazon or iTunes or whatever, is now DRM free, and that that's mm-hmm. been a very big part of the piracy argument for a long time. In that, if I pirate something, which I'm known to do on a regular basis, really? um, oh yes, <laughs> more than you have any idea. Let me put it that way. Um, anyway, uh, when you pirate something, you're getting a, you're generally getting it in a format that you can usually play on your PC, you can usually play them on a lot of DVD players, on game consoles, basically you can 
take that media and put it on any device without having to worry about any kind of DRM restricting how many devices you can put it on or what kind of devices you can put it on or anything like that. And so once you get rid of the DRM and you can basically do that same thing, you're they're based the music industry is making one step closer to piracy in terms of having a good user experience, and I think that's what a lot of this is about. Yeah, I agree. As I said, it's just easier. It's just the default answer because it's easier. No muss, no fuss, and you get the music easily. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I, I no longer pirate music once in a great while. If there's um, something generally that's not available in the U.S., because I do tend to like a lot of European bands. If it's not available... Hasselhoff? No, I'm thinking more like along the lines of like a Nightwish, Within Temptation, The Cores, um, Epica, stuff like that. Something that it's extremely difficult to find around here, and a lot of times they don't come out with a U.S. version until months later. Then those I'll still pirate on occasion those whole albums or whatever but anymore i've basically gone to where i'll buy everything off of itunes because it's not easy right you can't get the international stuff right the only thing at this point that i don't like about the whole itunes experience compared to what i can get with piracy despite the fact that i'm actually having to pay for it now which that's still irritating but generally speaking at 99 cents a song i really don't care that much because I'm not buying in huge volumes anyway. But the one problem I have is it seems to take forever for once I download a song on iTunes, it takes a long time for the file to process or whatever before I'm able to play it. And, Mm. And if I'm buying a whole album at a time, I've got 13 songs or whatever that have to spend a minute or two processing, and which, why it has to do that, I have no clue why it even has to do that. And that's not something I have to worry about when I'm dealing with peer-to-peer stuff. Now, I haven't tried, like, renting a movie off of iTunes to see if that has the same effect, but at least for MP3s it does. And I think that if they could get that figured out, I think that would also go a long way in helping people move over to something like an iTunes compared to going with peer-to-peer. Yeah, I think that's being a little bit of laziness. They need more competition. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon is starting, but uh, if Amazon teamed up with, like, say, Songbird or something, and really made a good player that can interface very well, uh, bump, up the, bump up their APIs or something, I, I think that they they really could, uh, or even make <laughs> uh, get with DVD John and make a, a iTunes plugin that hooks into the to the Amazon store. I think that'd be something that'd be you know, worth worth checking out. Yeah, well, no matter what any of these companies do, whether it's Apple or whoever, they're never going to come to the point where they have as good of an experience as you get with piracy. Now, the closer they come, the better off they're going to do, and the fewer people are going to want to choose piracy just because you can maybe get some extra features or whatever with iTunes, but you're still never going to get the simplicity of having... DRM free, whatever, for free, no commercials, 
um, have it in just a matter of seconds and whatever that you're going to get with piracy and no processing times or anything like that. But I, th- I think there's a lot that they can do to make leaps towards that. And I think that with the whole DRM-free thing and the fact that the digital sales are up 18% in the first nine months of 2009 in Sweden is evidence to show that when you make when you work to make these um, improvements in user experience, it's going to pay off. Yeah. And as the audio side is burgeoning, looks like MPAA with video is just trying to plug your a-hole. Yeah, this is just more stupidity from the MPAA. Apparently now they're back again trying to talk the FCC into blocking the analog hole. And they're saying that anybody who's against blocking the analog hole is just a bunch of liars. Yeah, it, from reading the description of what they're trying to do, this is what this is my take on on how they're trying to come off. They're trying to say that this is just like the video on demand that we currently have, except we're going to make a new extra premium tier of VOD and have movies come out sooner on that one first before it gets to the regular VOD. And but the movies on the premium VOD will not be available for older devices. So if you have a newer device, like a newer cable box that turns off all the analog connections or whatever, you would have access to this content. Now, you still have access to the regular VOD on the regular VOD schedule, but you would just get it sooner on this extra special VOD without any A-hole available. Um, but, But it's, of course, a thinly veiled attempt saying, oh, guess what, now we're not gonna offer anything on the regular VOD, it's all on the VOD. Yeah, well, and there's, of course, lots of beliefs that things like sling box, sling boxes, and TiVos and stuff, it would essentially break them. Which I'm not necessarily sure if that's right or wrong. I would assume that it would potentially break them. But the whole idea of creating this premium service by plugging the analog hole. It, it makes no sense to me, because basically they're, what they're saying is that the pi- that piracy is the issue here, and that people are using the analog hole to make pirated copies of whatever, and we would like to release our stuff sooner, but we won't don't want to do it in an insecure fashion as to where people can pirate it and put up movies or TV shows or special features or whatever sooner than they become available to... The, the regular masses in like a DVD format or whatever. The problem is that makes no sense considering the fact that most movies, whether are generally out on floating around on BitTorrent and whatever, the day they hit movie theaters with shaky cams or leaked vid uh, or leaked copies or whatever anyway. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, people aren't waiting for VOD to steal content. <laughs> that mm. takes that's way too slow. And and also they're saying the like if you read deep down it's not it's not for piracy that they want to do this it's just for money and competition um, because they're saying that they could do whatever they want to do over the internet because that is all digital and they control that whole s- uh, stream and they just don't want to because it's cheaper to do it over VOD because they already have that 
existing infrastructure. So it's easy to see that this has nothing to do about the piracy. This is all about money. Yeah, it's just one big money grab, and they're trying to, and they think that they're trying to hold the FCC hostage, where basically they're saying, "Well, you either do this, or we're gonna we're gonna work with like Sony and whatever, and basically use these internet connected TVs to have a premium service directly to those." TVs and still get our same the same premium service and premium content directly to those, and then a lot of people lose out on it because they don't have that particular functionality in their TVs. Yeah, more more power to you. Do it, do it, because you can. Don't mm-hmm. try to you know rewrite the rules for an existing existing infrastructure that people have purchased devices to work around. You can't just say you know we're not going to make gas anymore that you have to use kerosene to power your cars. If you want, to, if you want kerosene to power a vehicle, make a new vehicle and allow people to purchase that vehicle if they want to. Same thing with cable and POV. Don't mess with the uh, or did I say POV? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, don't mess with on demand. Um, just just uh, make your own new structure if you if that's what you want. Do it. Just don't have them try to change the laws to make it easier for you. Yeah. I- I think you probably they just need to try and work within the existing laws and work at it that way rather than trying to change everything. But speaking of things that don't make a whole lot of sense, Microsoft is apparently issuing takedown notices over the leaked versions of its coffee program that it provides for free to various investigators and... Um, like police organizations like Interpol and stuff like that to help um, basically do computer forensics for like tracking down um, child porn collectors and whatever. Yeah, basically they made software to break into their own software. (laughs) And they just, and they didn't expect it to get out. Uh, Well, duh, (laughs) everything you make Microsoft gets out. If you Mm -hmm. make software to break into your software, people are going to release it. Don't well, ever make software to break into your software. Yeah. Well, and apparently in this case, that works best with Windows XP, although there's a new version coming in the next year that's going to support Vista and Windows 7. But from what I understand, there's basically specialized security versions of Linux with like live CDs and stuff that you can basically do the exact same thing. So it's mm-hmm. not like this is anything special that it's worth sending out all these takedown notices for any sites that happen to be hosting it. Well, have you seen any of these boot CDs with specialized or custom distros of Linux to break into Linux? I downloaded one at one point, but I never got it. really got around to trying it out. Right, because what it does is when someone does that, they find those techniques and they harden the kernel and the OS around it. And that's what Microsoft should be doing. They shouldn't make software to break their own software. They should be making it harder for people to break their own software. Yeah, it's this whole idea that kind of, I think, is part of what fuels the whole conspiracy theory about, what was it, two weeks ago there were stories floating around about how Microsoft is working with the NSA or whatever over security features in Windows 7 or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people said they're using this to build a, a backdoor in there, while Microsoft yep. and the NSA are saying, no, we're doing it to improve the encryption techniques and whatever. Well, when you're making software to break into your own software for the just to help investigators, it kind of would make sense that you're also putting in back doors that like the NSA can get into, which, as I recall, there's been known back doors for the NSA and whatever to get into in previous versions of Windows anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said good for you, uh, whoever leaked this. This is not something that you know Microsoft should just willy-nilly just hand the keys to your PC over to the authorities because you, they think that's the right thing to do. That's not for them to decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of curious to see. I'm kind of curious to know how many sites are um, have this uploaded that they're sharing it basically with anybody. I mean, I know it's floating around on peer-to-peer sites, and I may or may not have a copy of it myself. I have not to say that I've got a chance to play with it yet, but I might have a copy of it. But um, I won't be hosting it just because I really don't want to jeopardize my position with Microsoft as it is. Right. But, I don't know, I, I certain when they're giving it away for free anyway, and it's known techniques and stuff, I really don't see what the big issue is. Yeah. Everyone just use TrueCrypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just steer steer clear of this and just use true crypt. I mean, and you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. And speaking of Microsoft, apparently the Micro Who search ad deal has been approved in Australia and Canada. Yeah, I was reading this, and they were saying that those were the first countries to uh, clear the regulatory hurdles for this deal to go through. And I thought the U.S. was pretty quick on saying that they are letting this deal go through. I guess that was unofficial? Yeah, I guess both the U.S. and the EU, which I'm guessing are probably the only two that really matter at this point, are still evaluating the proposal and haven't yet reached any final decisions on if they're going to allow this deal to go through. Mm. Yeah, I hope it goes through. I mean, this is something that I think they do need to team up team up on to help fight against Google. And the, the good thing is before this this uh, partnership, looked like Bing is actually making some really good inroads. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Um, so what we talked about last week, that even though they're gaining market share, they're not taking any away from 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 Google itself. But um, once this goes through, hopefully that would be a non-issue, and we'll actually see some some really good competition between the two. Yeah, I I've, I was kind of surprised by the numbers that we talked about last week, and that Yahoo's search from since the beginning of this year or whatever is down. What was that, eight percent or something like that? Whereas yeah. Bing is up to ten percent. So I'm kind of curious to know why that shift is happening since I mean Google did grow this year I think it's by one percent one percent or something like that but I'm kind of curious as to why a lot of people seem to be moving from Yahoo to Bing is it that those they think stupid that, internet stupid commercials yeah is it the commercials is it that it's a better search engine is it that people think that Bing has already taken over Yahoo Search, or they're going to, so they might as well get used to Bing before this happens. Or I'm kind of curious to know what the reasoning is for the dramatic shift. 
Well, I was saying it was the Yahoo commercials that drew people away from Yahoo. <laughs> They're like, I've been using that crap. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stop. Yeah, those commercials are horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just don't watch any commercials, period, anymore. Right, well, do you listen to CNET podcasts? Because they're all over that. You know, I act, I haven't listened to any CNET podcasts in probably about two weeks. I've been meaning to get back into listening to Buzz Out Loud, but I haven't listened to anything on CNET in about two weeks. Yeah, yeah well, it's by you, for you, Yahoo. Ugh. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've uh, seen that advertising campaign yet. Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah thank goodness. Yeah, I, I I avoid all advertising. Usually, like if I'm watching TV, I'm watching two or three things at once. So once when one goes on commercial, I flip over to something else. And mm-hmm. if I'm not watching more than one thing at once, I'll mute it and start paying more attention to my computer. Or if it's something I really don't care, I'll just but I still want to see the show. I just don't want to be interrupted with all the commercials. I'll torrent it or whatever. That Basically, I just don't waste my time with commercials anymore. Yeah, that's why podcasts, podcast advertisements are still the one that really make an impact on me. I don't like it, but still I can quote it. I've gotten to the point where I'm actually starting to skip through even the commercials on podcasts. I, I've gotten to the point now where even... If the commercials are like part of the content, like Leo does with Twit, uh-huh. whenever I hear something for Audible or go to my PC or whatever, I just immediately skip about three minutes ahead, and just then at that point I go a little forward, a little back to try and figure out where the commercial ends and where the regular show picks back up again, and I just skip the whole thing in between because I really don't care anymore. Cause but the thing is, that's what you've heard of, right? It's not like um, you, you know what the advertisements are and you're choosing to skip them, but would you skip them if you haven't heard that same advertisement over and over again, though? Like if they had if they had the new one. If they got like a new sponsor, I might listen to it maybe once. Maybe, maybe not. It would just kind of depend maybe like on who the sponsor is or whatever. But when it's someone like Audible, who's been sponsoring Twit since the beginning, I I really don't need to hear the same spiel a millionth, another million times just yeah. so I can get another recommendation for a book that I'm never going to read. And I've got more Audible books that I'm probably never going to read than I even know what to do with. And that I I've got so many. I just in the past week I bought I've purchased like four books on my Kindle. I've got to read through those before I and catch up on podcasts before I can even think about checking out my Audible books that I all that I have. That's why I've canceled my Audible account because it was basically just throwing away money every month. Yeah, because it's already worked on you basically. They got your money. They got their their CPM. <laughs> yeah, it worked on me for a, a couple of months. Is where I got a number of books and then canceled my account because I never had time to listen to them. But, I don't know, that, that's just me. But, anyway, apparently um, blogging is now picking back up speed whereas microblogging is starting to, their growth is starting to flatten out. Yeah, microblogging is basically Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I guess, Tumblr for a while, but uh, it's it's Twitter's the easiest, and Twitter you know has its uses, but it's very limited. So I can totally see why 
um, blogging is getting better. But I think in this specific example, they're talking about WordPress mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah, well, well, and I think bloggers' numbers are up as well, I believe. But yeah, WordPress has is showing considerable growth recently, whereas Twitter is their traffic growth has started to flatten out, which I got me it got me thinking the other day. I think that Twitter has waited too long to monetize. Now they can't really show growth now that things are flattening out and uh-huh. and that basically things are probably going to just start shrinking from here despite the fact that they may add new features like retweet and what other whatever other half-baked ideas they may have um, now you basically have to have to be able to monetize what you have without driving them away because there's you're kind of out of new people that you can really um, use to grow the site. So at this point, I would say that they've kind of outlived what they're going... They've reached their peak at this point, and I think they're just going to go down from here and to recoup the hundred and some odd million that investors have invested in them is going to be really hard at this point. I think it, it... This goes to the fact that social media is really exploding in general. And if you listen to any good strategist or any to any social media uh, consultant, the first thing they're going to see say is not necessarily to jump into Twitter, maybe dabble in Twitter, but you definitely need to start a blog. And uh, WordPress is probably one of the de facto platforms that is the easiest to get up and running to start blogging on. So I think this will probably pick... I think we're going to see a back and forth. Uh, we're going to see this same trend just extrapolated out for another um, uh, 12 months that we'll see blogging start to plateau and then we'll see microblogging come back up after the people who have been blogging for around for a while move on to Twitter. Yeah, well, Matt Mullenweg had a blog post in the past couple of days where he basically kind of looked at this from his perspective and that basically microblogging never can be what a full blog is. You you can't really really flesh out your ideas in 140 characters to the point where you're convincing somebody of something or you're sharing a full idea with them or whatever. In the end, blogging is still a better format for that, that kind of stuff and it needs to be a case of where Twitter and the other microblogging services need to basically support a an actual blog, which it's better to have a sole fit, um, presence for you or your company or whatever anyway. But it but you need to have that one place and just make these other services complementary, so you have one great resource that has everything you do on it or whatever and as well as everything in more detail rather than having these other small being on these social networks like Twitter or Facebook where you can you're limited in what you can say and what you can um, do with it right and 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 um, you miss some regularity um, Twitter by definition is not as regular regular as a blog post when you do a certain segment every day, every week, or every month. 
Um, with Twitter, it's more reactive than proactive for the most part. Right. And to me, Twitter is more of a form of two-way communication, much more than a blog is. A blog is basically you're putting your entire case out there at once rather than giving little chunks of it and then getting little chunks back. So basically it's a much easier way of getting your whole idea out there and getting reactions to the whole idea rather than whatever you can fit in 140 characters. Mm-hmm. But that, that that's just kind of the way I view it anyway. Right. Although, to be honest, my uh, opinion about the whole blogging and microblogging thing changes all the time, just kind of depending on what angle I'm looking at it from. Yeah, I, I prefer I prefer blog, microblogging. I, I prefer short bursts um, rather than the long form because it's just easier for me just to get it out there and get it done. Um, very little uh, proofing you have to do to write three three lines of text as opposed to um, talking about like a thousand words or something like that. Yeah, I I like both for different things. The only thing is I can't really monetize my what I say on Twitter. I mean. When I put it on my blog, I can at least run AdSense on there, and maybe I can make a couple of cents. Not much, but at least it's something. Whereas on Twitter, I've tried various ad services and stuff like that, and they've never panned out. And even on Black Friday, I have, I'm have i an Amazon affiliate, which once in a while, like I mentioned, a product in the blog or whatever, I'll use an Amazon affiliate link to it so that if you go and if you use that link to go buy that particular product from Amazon, I get like, I think it's like a 4% commission, something like that on it. But I was, they now have a feature on there where you can um, tweet a product and it'll say something like, I found a great price on such and such a pro- from Amazon on such and such a product and whatever, and it'd give you a link to it. Well, I decided to try that last on Friday with, or Al, I think it's maybe Thursday and Friday, with the various Black Friday sales to see if I could use that to actually make any money, but I never, but no matter what it was that I, um, whatever product it was that I tweeted about, or how good of a bargain it was, I still never seemed to make a single sale doing that. Yeah, I I totally, uh, totally understand. It's just, it's it's less like uh, direct uh, monetization, but more of uh, building influences influence to then parlay that into some sort of financial uh, financial uh, gain and on some other front that you might be doing that's adjacent to it, but not necessarily in parallel with it. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, on to our final topic. Apparently. Verizon, who was kind of gloating at AT&T after kind of winning against them in court as far as they're allowed to have their whole... There's a map for that ads to show the expansiveness of their 3G coverage compared to the minuscule 3G coverage of AT&T. Well, apparently now Sprint's decided to jump in with the fact that they're the most dependable 3G network, and now Verizon's crying foul because of that. Yeah, did they just revamp or do an internal reorg to, to go on the hunt like this? I mean, they're really 
really, really um, going after people. Uh, first, it was um, with the $350 cancellation fee that they enacted. Mm-hmm. And then, then all these commercials, all these campaigns. I think they are making a strategic um, plan to attack everyone on the block. I want to see what they get do against T-Mobile next. Well, I, I, I just find it kind of funny because first they go after AT&T, but now they don't like it too much when it's being done to them. But I, really, I see this as kind of a major play for Sprint because, as you know, Sprint's been losing customers by the millions or, well, I think it's maybe down to the hundreds of thousands or whatever every quarter now. So by saying that yeah, AT&T has the fastest 3G network. Yeah, Verizon has the biggest 3G network. We have the most dependable 3G network. So it doesn't matter how much coverage you get. If it's not a dependable um, 3G coverage, it really doesn't matter. So I, I think this is pretty much a, lar- a huge play from Sprint in hopes of trying to get more customers. Or at least not lose so many customers. Yeah. And uh, with $350 cancellation fee, if they go over to Verizon, they're not coming back, at least not for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's something that the other companies need to play up as well, is they need to say, hey, if you don't like us, this is our small cancellation fee, or relatively speaking. But if you don't like Verizon, this is how much you're going to end up having to pay if you want to cancel. Or, better yet, maybe work out some kind of a subsidy deal where if you leave Verizon, we'll help pay part of your um, early termination fee or something like that. That would be huge. But uh, I'm glad that Verizon's calling Sprint out on this. If if Sprint's telling the truth and they said they do have the the most reliable network, then all they have to do is just prove it. Um, If they have the numbers, then that's fine. I mean, it's just truth in advertising. If for some reason they're lying and they don't, then they're going to lose this court case. So I think it's a win-win for the consumer, at least, and all these lawsuits. Well, I think there's numeral, uh, numerous independent test results that show that Sprint is the most dependable. So mm-hmm. I'm, I would say they probably don't have much of a case here, I don't think. Right. But then Verizon deserves to lose, and I think that would be something to add <laughs> on Sprint's next commercial. Yeah. Well... What amazes me is that up until the Droid came out, Sprint really, or eight, or Verizon, I mean, really had no cool phones. I mean, they get, they had some Blackberries and stuff, but they had no cool phones. They didn't have an Android phone. They didn't have an iPhone. They didn't have a Palm Pre or anything like that. So I'm amazed that none of the competition, whether it's Sprint or T-Mobile or AT&T or whoever, hasn't been hammering on that fact for months. And that's one of the, I and mean, yeah, Verizon has the best network, or supposedly, but they don't have any cool phones, and that's something that AT&T and whoever should have been hitting on for a long time until something actually changed, like the droid. Mm-hmm. And that would be a case of hitting Verizon where it hurts, and a whole lot more than saying that our network is more dependable than yours. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that would be our show for this week. We do have our tip of the week. Um, this one happened to come across on Dig. 
It's how to ungoogle yourself. Basically, if you have maybe some unflattering Google results out there, this is just some ideas in the form of a wiki to what you can do to maybe downplay some of those results. Whether it's like um, trying to push it more of your of you out there so that you can maybe get those other results pushed back or maybe if you if this is like a forum post or something like that and you can go back and edit that or whatever basically doing whatever you can to make your um, vanity searches a little bit more flattering which is especially a, a good idea if you're doing some job hunting or whatever and you know the potential employer is going to be googling you Anyway, that would be our show for tonight. Um, don't forget to check out the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. That's where you can find the how to ungoogle yourself, as well as all of the stories that we talked about tonight. Don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog, which you can find a lot of my PDC coverage, and I should be posting the videos and an interview that I did this morning on there, hopefully tomorrow, maybe somewhere on there. We'll see. Uh, just kind of depends on how tomorrow goes. I know this week is going to be a little bit on the hectic side for me. This is concerts, hockey games, stuff like that. Um, just something to throw out there. Uh, we do live on donations. We don't have any advertising for the show. I mean, I am a Microsoft Student Insider, so that's kind of something, but I get no money from that. So, and we still have server bills to pay. Like I mentioned about three weeks ago or whatever, I had to pay $190 for hosting. That's not including how much I spend every year on domain names and anything else that's associated with the site and everything. Like, when I have headsets go bad and stuff, which that usually tends to happen about once every six months or so, I have to replace headsets and microphones, and I really like to get some upgraded equipment so I can get some better audio quality on here, get rid of some of the pops and stuff like that. But I really don't have the money to do it, and the only way I, that I can really um, afford to do it is if you donate. So if you go to globalgeeknews.com donations, or you can just go to globalgeeknews.com, and there should be a um, button or something like that at the top, or on the side or whatever, that'll say donations. And the same with a blog. If you go there and you donate, it doesn't really matter how much you donate. Anything will help, really. If you want to donate five bucks, that would be great. If you wanted to donate 5,000 bucks, that would be great, too. Um, Just think about how much um, value you get from us compared to everything else. I mean, basically, what I'd like... And I'm working on getting a subscription button up so we can do, like, a $5 a month subscription. Basically, that's as much as a Starbucks coffee. I mean, think about it. We're giving you about four hours worth of interesting, entertaining content a month. And you're going to be spending a whole lot more than $5 a month and getting a whole lot less content if you're going to something like the movie theaters or whatever. So... I mean, I, we spend hours getting ready for the show, doing the show, um, making, getting things up and everything. So we would really appreciate it if you could help out in any way monetarily. And if you can't, that's fine. I know there's a lot of people that aren't in very good financial situations right now. So 
if you could at least Twitter and say, hey, check out this awesome tech podcast or whatever, even that would help considerably. And Twitter it, post it on forums, post it on Facebook, whatever, and don't forget to fan us up on Facebook while I'm thinking about it. We are Global Geek News on Facebook, so fan us up on there. But anything, any donations over $10, you can list your website on there. Anything over $25, we'll give you a shout-out on the show and a shout-out to whatever site you want or whatever. But we could definitely use a little bit of money help. Funds are running low, especially after spending 190 bucks on the server bill, and I know I've got some domains that are going to be renewing here real soon, too. So, any help that you guys can give, that would be great. But don't forget to follow at Global Geek News on Twitter for basically anything tech-related. I post various news links, as well as whenever a show goes up, I, that's where it gets posted to first. Um, anything that gets posted to the blog, that's where it goes to first. So if you want to get the content as it happens, that's the account to follow. You can also follow me. I am PCNerd37 on Twitter. A lot of times I'll post the same thing to both accounts as far as um, news that if it's up on the blog, then I'll retweet it on my account and whatever too. Plus, there's a whole lot more. So if you want to get everything me, you have to kind of follow both accounts. And don't forget to follow Wesley, who is Wesley83 on Twitter. Which you can always yeah. Find. If you want, if you want any useful information whatsoever, follow me on Twitter. Yeah, if you want to find more reasons to donate money to Wesley, follow him on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. I don't know how much I've donated to you from stuff that you've <laughs> talked about on Twitter. But, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Anyway, that's our show for this week. Don't forget if you have any. Um, comments or suggestions, feel free to leave them in the comments or you can always drop me a line, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com or you can always just let me know on Twitter or whatever. So, we will see you guys next week. Later. Later. <laughs>